Thrive Conference Series Podcast. To find out more, go to littlemountainministries.com. Amen, church. Brother Harry, he's like the amen, the lights. Amen. Brother Jack Evans, he used to amen the walls. And he would speak, nobody say amen, he said amen walls. And just so happened that one congregation, one of the elders' names was Brother Wall. <laughs> he said amen wall, and Brother Wall was just shouting, amen. <laughs> he did that for that next hour in, in Jack's sermon. Everybody knew that he wasn't talking to Brother Wall, but Brother Wall was the only one that didn't know it. <laughs> it has been a fantastic day. Thank you all for coming and taking the time, and thank you, my sister, for coming from Nashville and stirring wonderful memories. Sister Sarah, thank you so much, and so good to meet your children, and thank all of y'all for taking the time to come out. We have moved into a time, as we all are seeing and being aware of, that henceforth, we're going to have to make sacrifices to be together. It's not just a given. There's so much to fight about, mask and no mask. Uh, that is causing problems in the body uh, around America, as I am hearing and seeing and experiencing. And with the fear that's in our communities anymore, we're no longer going to have to be a people who say, come and see, as Philip said to Andrew when he says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, we cannot be a fellowship anymore to say, come and see our preacher and come and see our building. Uh, we're, we're supposed to be a people that go and tell. Some of the people are going to fear us because they don't know what's going to happen when they die. They don't know what's on the other side. They don't have those answers. And so we're going to have to build personal relationships with them. Because so many times they feel like we bring them up here and told the preacher preacher to sick them. Well, they get beat up by a total stranger. They don't know the minister. They know you. They don't know a lot of the people sitting here. They know you. And so we're going to have to get back to what I call personal relationships that a lot of lessons that have been going on are talking about. Well, we ourselves cultivate that relationship and begin helping someone come to know the Lord. That's why I threw it out of ease there. Uh, This is kind of a process that I go through with young men that I work with and are trying to help them grow and develop. I take them around with me. Uh, Some years ago when I was teaching at Louisville there where Jeff Jenkins is, I was teaching a college class and a young man walked into class. I know he was new because I hadn't tasted him before. Amen. (laughs) He was Hispanic. His name is Travis Miller. I had never met a Hispanic young man named Travis Miller. And so I took him, started taking him around with me after I kissed him. He's like, you kiss me. I said, don't be shocked. I kiss a lot of ugly people. (laughs) And so I took him to a high school with me. I would go to different high schools in the community. If we had Christian kids there in the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, I'd go up and have lunch with them. So I took him with me on occasion. And I introduced him to the football coaches. They made me the chaplain there at Marcus High School in Louisville. Brother, uh, Mr. Brian Irwin, he was not a member but he had asked me if I would be the chaplain, though my son played at a school up the road. I said, sure. So I took Travis with me, and they had an Hispanic young man on the football team. 
and he asked Travis the name. He said, Travis Miller. He said, you're Hispanic. You can't be a Miller. It must be Millerez. <laughs> anyway, Travis came to me after taking him around and him seeing what I did and, and doing evangelism, Jesus like with the apostles. He said, I haven't heard a lot of this stuff you're talking about that Brad just talked about. He said, I hadn't heard a lot about the gospel. You talk about that a lot, the death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, sir. He said, this is new to me. He said, my parents divorced when I was about 10 years old. Me and my younger sister, and he said, that's the last time we darkened the door of a church building in the Church of Christ. He said, I don't remember learning a lot of this stuff. He said, I just graduated from Texas A&M. He said, could you do me a favor? He said, could you walk me through your ease? And so he started traveling with me. And then, of course, I'd call him up, say a prayer with him on the telephone. I'd be encouraging him. I'd go and have lunch with him. He continued to come to some of the classes that I was teaching. He said, okay, now, could you do me a favor? He said, could you begin teaching me like you would teach a lost person? And so we went through that process. As I encouraged him, I wanted to start helping him get established in his skill set. You lead prayer. I always start young men off with leading prayer. That's usually not as threatening. You don't have to get up in front of, front of a bunch of people. And I do like what Jesus did. I do this privately because I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want them to be ashamed to get up in front of brethren. I want them to count that as a blessing, to be able to get up in front of the brothers and sisters and sing or pray or teach. And I believe it is a blessing, and I believe it is an honor. I didn't see it that way in the beginning because they just threw me in and said sink or swim. I don't want anybody else to have to go through that. <laughs> it, it, it was not comfortable in the beginning when I started out trying to learn how to be a servant of God. And so as I walked him through the process of which I teach these E's, he said, okay, now, can you immerse me? And so I did. He said, okay, now, for the next three years, can you walk me through these? And so for the next three years, we walk through these ease. And I get these from Jesus. Because so many times a preacher leaves the congregation without preparing them for his exit. So many times an evangelist or a minister will have to move away, or that person moves away. I want to prepare people for my leaving. Didn't Jesus say in John 14, I'm going away? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house. How many mansions that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and to receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and whether I go, you may know the way. They said, Lord, I know we the way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 1 through 6. Jesus prepared his disciples for his exit. And so with a lot of these young men that I work with, I start trying to prepare them for an exit. Either they'll leave or move away. I will leave or move away. I want to make sure that they understand this is a process. And I expect them to find someone else and go through this process with them, with these ease. I, I see that with Jesus. He's taking these men around with him. Luke chapter 5, Peter jumps out of the boat after he tells them to cast that net on the right side of the boat. And a great number of fish come in. He said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I can imagine, I can envision the other guys on the boat 
just bending over, hee-hawing like nobody's business. When Peter said, Lord, get it. You need to leave. I'm a sinful man. <laughs> Peter, we know that about you too. But the beautiful thing was Peter was willing to admit that. How about you? That's one of the things I do know that's hard for a big man to admit fault and to show emotion. Because our society tries to tell big men that you don't cry. It don't, it, a man don't cry. A man don't say all this I love you stuff. And yet here's a big man doing such. I guess I studied in doing some character studies. I studied a lot about Peter. I studied a lot about King David. Just a lot of these men are Samson, great men of God from of old. And then Peter here in the New Testament pulling in 153 fish. Who else would sit down and count 150, Peter? <laughs> he, he wanted everybody to know he was, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I learned a lot from this large man because in 1 Peter chapter 5, he becomes a shepherd. Nothing is said about Miss Peter. Don't have to. If somebody can go from Luke chapter 5, as rough as that dude was to a shepherd, Miss Peter was something. <laughs> he had a special mate, a sweet woman, and having children. I'll turn over to Matthew chapter 8. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this. Again, an encounter that Jesus has. I like to read these gospel encounters that Jesus has had because I gain insight. Matthew chapter 8. And I began at verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, again, he encounters a centurion. He comes to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Isn't it amazing how sometimes, like the story we read early in John 4, 46 and following, he just told the man to go home. His child was healed. Jesus didn't go to his home. There was somebody already in his home that had an established relationship. Here Jesus says, I will come. And now there's some lesson that's going to be learned. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. What faith. A lot of these centurions, Roman centurions, they were in charge of 100 men. They didn't get that position because their daddy had status in the community. These guys were seasoned warriors. And that's why they had six-inch spikes in their boots because their swords were swung like baseball bats. Zorro wouldn't have survived in this kind of battle. And they were sharp on both sides, so they swung going and coming. In fact, the style of kickoff we get in football comes from soldiers marching, Roman soldiers, because you had to stand far enough apart that when somebody swung their sword back and forth, that you were far enough away from them that you didn't kill your teammate. Well, we did that in kickoffs. That's what they got that from. 
You didn't veer from that lane. They said, look, you stay in your lane. If you run out of that lane to avoid a block, you've created a hole for a guy to run a touchdown back. Well, it was the same thing with the Romans marching. They stayed in that lane. Whether somebody blocked you, killed you, that was still an area that was counted on. This gentleman, being a Roman centurion, he had heard some things about Jesus. Praise God for those saints, for those believers who was out talking about Jesus. For those servants, those slaves who was not running around saying, freedom, I want to be free. They were free in Christ. And apparently this gentleman listened well. And he even did some digging. Watch what he says. In verse 9, he said, I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes, and to another, do this, and he does it. If you are who they say you are, sir, you don't have to come to my house because I understand authority. Wow. Matthew 7, 28, Jesus didn't speak as the scribes and the Pharisees spoke as one having authority. If what he has heard is true, if what these people are saying about you is true, sir, I understand authority. I say a soldier to a soldier, do this, and he does it. Come, and he comes. Do this, and it is done. He's, I understand authority. Wow. How moving. There wasn't a lot of people that made my Lord marvel. But here's someone that made Jesus marvel. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those following him, Assuredly, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, not in all of Israel. Here's a Roman centurion. And Jesus says the man has the greatest faith that he's seen in all of Israel. And I asked a gentleman one time, I said, was he baptized? He said, no. I said, man, you must be smoking something. Jesus ain't going to tell an unbeliever he's got greater faith than anybody in all the world. Yes, this man was immersed. You see, once John the Baptist came on the scene, you couldn't be saved without John's baptism. We saw that earlier in Luke 7, 30. As we read and dig into scripture, understand that faith never stands alone. Repentance is a part of faith. Confession is a part of faith. Baptism is a part of, part of faith once John's ministry began. Mark 1, 4 and Luke 1, 7. John's baptism was for the remission of sins. The disciples were with Jesus. They did the baptism, baptizing we saw in John 4. And they're learning. They're watching how Jesus is doing evangelism. And so he goes on to say, verse 11, I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into the outer darkness. There shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. As you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed 
at that very hour. A young girl gave me a card once as I was leaving a particular area and it just simply said, great men are unpredictable. Well, here is a great man and I've often wondered how I would react being around Jesus because he was not predictable. Go your way. Your servant had been made whole. I mean, here's an individual that's been learning some things. As we learned through the other Gospels, this centurion had built the Jews a synagogue. The elders came and spoke on behalf of him and said, hey, he loves our nation. He has built us a synagogue. Here were some believers who were volunteering information about this individual. And in what humility, he said, I'm not a man. I'm not worthy that you should even come under my roof. What humility. But sir, I understand authority. If you'll just speak the word, if you are who they say you are, my servant will be healed because I understand authority. Uh, when I went to Papua New Guinea, I, I had done 10 years of evangelism in America before I went to Papua New Guinea. But in going over to Papua New Guinea, most of the missionaries wanted to go out to the villages. The people had no more than a third grade education. Bless you. The people had no more than a third grade education, and they wanted to go out to the villages because you could go out and baptize a thousand people. I mean, they practically ready to jump in the water. Because then they, they needed pants, they needed shirts, they needed uh, chloroquine, it's called malaria medicine. They had great needs. And after being in the mission field for two years and seeing these people, how quickly they were being immersed, but none of those missionaries were going back to ground those people. None of those missionaries were building relationships with these people. And so in 1985, we baptized close to 1,000 people. Three months later, we couldn't find them with a search warrant. And so after two years, I said, look, I said, I'm done going to the villages. We got a congregation here of 400 members. They give $20 every Sunday. The missionaries had to have a separate collection, and our collection was 3,500 just from the missionaries. So guess who was calling all the shots? Yeah, follow the money. I said, we're, we're doing a disservice to these people. I said, these congregations in this country, they need quality men and women. We're doing a disservice by going out and just loading up these buildings with people that's going to need you for the next 30 years. And you're coddling them. We've got to teach some of their people that's educated. We've got to teach indigenous people in their country that's going to live here, that was born here, that's going to die here. I didn't come here to die. I don't mind dying for my Lord, but I'm not going to recklessly go out and do things to endanger my life. That's not Christianity. I was raised on John Wayne, but I don't try to live John Wayne Christianity. Hello? We ain't got to reinvent the wheel, church. Amen? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Point being is, I'm not raising a dollar to build another church building. 
because we got black church building, white church building, now the Hispanics want their own church building. I'm not building no more church building. We got enough room. Look around. Amen. Our pews are empty. They can come up in here. We can't be building buildings to keep separating ourselves from each other. And now we got buildings and brethren in this building and that building and how many do we need in a town? How many pro football teams live in the same town? As Brother Harold was pointing out and Brother Barbara and others, we got to get back to loving. I got eight sisters. And before I turned 18 and left home, you couldn't have convinced me that I would ever love those girls. We fought about everything. We didn't have 11 plates. We didn't have 11 chairs. We didn't have 11 beds. We had to triple up. <laughs> Not just double up, triple up. I didn't know that all of those tough times was building love. And we're going to need some of that tough love. As we, I talked about earlier, not carrying our feelings on our shirt sleeves. When I first became a Christian back in 1900 and none of your business. The only guy that was spending time with me was the young man that had taught me the gospel. But he had a wife and he had children, so I couldn't hang out with him all the time. And it was like, man, when I first became a Christian, I only knew one place to sit on the front bench. Well, I would come to the building. I didn't have a car and didn't have money for gas sometimes. I... I'd come in 30 minutes late, sometimes 40 minutes late, but I'd walk in and walk all the way up on that front pew. And people always wonder, why do these football players, they, all, they come in late, but they always walk to the front pew. You ain't never seen a second bench on a sideline on football team. There's one bench. If there's a front one, that's one I'm supposed to be sitting on. And I'd come right up there and fall asleep because Sunday was my recovery day when I was in college from getting beat up all day Saturday. And then when I became a Christian, it was hard for me to stay awake on Sunday because that was the day I got beat up. After that football game and my adrenaline slowed down, Monday was our day off because I couldn't even blink my eyes on Monday morning. It hurt to blink because for four hours I'd been hit from head to toe. Everything was sore. It hurt to blink, it hurt to cough, and so I remember I got up and went and got a drink of water because I was getting sleepy. And I noticed there was a young man in the congregation. He would always come 15 minutes late. He'd always leave 15 minutes early. His daddy was an elder, Douglas Wheeler. I didn't know anything about Doug, but he was close to my age. And so I decided one day, I got to find out who this dude is because I can't meet him because he comes after everything started 15 minutes late. Then I can't meet him because he leaves 15 minutes early. So he was just clocking in because his dad was an elder. So I got up in the middle of the sermon and I walked back there and sit, sat next to him. And of course, I got the end, so I trapped him on the inside. He couldn't get out. So sure enough, 15 minutes till he got up to leave. And I went out in the foray with him. I said, my name's Willie. He said, I'm Doug. I said, good to meet you. And he kept trying to get loose, and I wouldn't let his hand go. 
I said, I need to get to know somebody here my age. I said, I'm picking you. <laughs> he said, well, we need to get together. I said, now you're talking turkey. And he went to try to pull the wagon. I wouldn't let go. I said, okay, when? He said, how about tomorrow? I said, that ain't going to work. He said, how about next week? I wouldn't let go. And I got a grip. <laughs> he said, how about tonight? I said, now you're talking turkey. So I let him go. That night we met together at midnight and we played tennis until 3 o'clock in the morning. And he became my running buddy, old Doug Wheeler. He's a pretty smart guy, got an accounting degree. You give me a stick, I take on a bear. And so one day I'm over in the dormitory. I ran the whole football dormitory, uh, athletic dormitory at OU in the offseason. And the black guys came to me. Brother Willie, yeah, what's up? They said, uh, what you doing going to that white church? All the black guys. These are all the black guys on the team. Uh, Norman, Oklahoma used to be a very prejudiced community. They said, what you doing going to that white church? Somebody had told them, I guess. I didn't know anything about church. I said, man, them bricks ain't white. Them red bricks, that's a red church. They're like, no, no, no. What you doing going up there with the white people? Well, in Norman, Oklahoma, there were no black churches of any kind. You have to drive all the way to Oklahoma City, 45 minutes. So most of the black guys on the team that went somewhere, they would drive 45 minutes to Oklahoma City. So I said, what you doing driving all the way to, to Oklahoma City to find a black church? They said, they preach the truth there. And of course, as the, in John Wayne movies, well, okay, Pilgrim. I said, okay, you take down all the verses your preacher uses. I'll take down all the verses this preacher uses, and we'll meet in the television room at 12 o'clock. It went across campus like a wildfire. Man, it's going to be a showdown. Going to be a showdown. Church Christ Baptist, going to be a showdown. Man, every athlete that was in that school, that TV room was packed. And I couldn't find Genesis in the Bible. But Doug Wheeler could. <laughs> He might not have been faithful, but he knew his Bible. And so I said, hey, Doug, you got to come with me. And he'd always say, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just a nobody. I, you know that Bible. You coming with me. We went in the TV room and wall of wall, all the athletes. I said, okay, what you got? John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn nor, but that the world might be saved by him. What else? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. What else? Romans 10, 9 and 10. With the heart man believeth, with the mouth confession made unto salvation. That's all you got. <laughs> That's all you got. Man, woof. <laughs> I write down all them verses. I couldn't find them, but I wrote them down. Doug, look up John 3, 1 through 17. <laughs> Doug, look up Acts 8. Look up Acts 9. Look up Acts 10. We just reading off all these verses. I didn't know nothing about the gospel. We baptized six of them dudes that day. <laughs> and then they were like, hey, Willie, next week you got to come to Ada, Oklahoma. 
I don't know nobody in Ada. No, that's where I'm from. My mama, my daddy, my brothers and sisters. You got to come teach them about the gospel, about Jesus. I said, I'm not no preacher. They said, you got us in this. <laughs> well, yeah, I did. Well, you got to come. I go down to Ada, Oklahoma. That girl's mama has called every denominational preacher in town. We got nine denominational preachers in that house. And I walk in, and now I'm the one shaking. <laughs> I still can't find Genesis. How did I get in this situation? Man, fortunately, they called the brother from the Church of Christ. We went from 11 o'clock that morning to 11 o'clock that night. Robbie Stewart was teacher of the year at Michigan State. That was her mama who had called all those denominational preachers. Robert Lee Stewart was a most wanted, back out, wanted running back out of Arkansas. He had come to Oklahoma, got a knee injury, never played. He became an elder in the church. That's what he's been doing up north in Michigan. I hadn't seen him for a lot of years. He's in our Zoom Bible study that Brother Moore and I have on Thursday nights. Church, when you talk about church in people's lives, it's not you having all the answers. First Peter 3.15 doesn't say that you have all the answers. It just says be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. I thought it said be ready to give an answer to anybody. I had to keep reading. And so Brother Ron, he said, look, will you ever think about getting in ministry? No, sir. Can't do that. He said, why not? I said, I can't read. He said, do you know any radio songs? I said, yes, sir. My girl, my girl, I'm talking about my girl. He said, well, you know a radio song you can learn to read. Well, nobody in the educational system ever told me that. What do you mean? He said, you buy the whole Bible on cassette and you listen to 20 chapters a day. He said, I guarantee you'll learn to read. The book of generation of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob, Judah, and his brother. And Judah begot Prius and Zerah, or Tamar. Prius begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenadad. Amenadad begot Nation. Nation begot Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Jesse the king. Uh, David the king. I couldn't believe, just by listening and following along, that my mind would pick this stuff up. But then it hit me. Genesis 1:26. God said, let us make man. In our image. Amen, church? God don't make no junk. I mean, I got called a dummy and a retard for 18 years of schooling because they put me in special education classes and told me I was a dummy, so I thought I was until I became a Christian. And this gentleman told me to start listening. Doesn't the book say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ? Romans 6, 17. I learned by listening. Following along. I said, Doug, I said, look, man, I got to learn more Bible. I can't go back to football. I said, I'm going to quit football, and I'm going to go to a Bible school somewhere. Why don't you quit? I mean, after you graduate here at OU, let's go. Let's go to school somewhere, learn the Bible, and let's shake up this world. He said, no, man, I'm going to be a farmer in Cherokee, Oklahoma. I said, Lord's got enough farmers. We need some sowers. He said, no, uh -uh. I'm not going. I said, okay, then I'm not going. He said, you got to go. You told the elders. You told everybody. I said, your daddy's an elder. If you ain't going, why should I go? 
So then I had to threaten him. I said, hey, you don't go. I'm going to stuff you in this suitcase, all 160 pounds of you. Anyway, I scared him. <laughs> we went down to that Bible college, and you talk about somebody focused. Okay, wheels. Because I always call him the wheel in the middle of the wheel. Because when he preaches, he spits on the first five rows. <laughs> he doesn't say he sprayed. We went down there and we was all, okay, look, no women. Women are out of the picture, man. We're going to be eunuchs. And we ain't getting sidetracked with all that family stuff. We're going to go evangelize the world. Yeah, man. We go down there to this Bible college. It didn't take two days. Willie, man, this girl, I heard her singing. Oh, hey, wheels, focus, man, focus. Yeah, okay, 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 Franklin. Oh, he's calls me Franklin. Okay, focus. A week later, I'm going, man, I was at this congregation. There's this girl, Franklin. Yeah, that's right. Focus, focus, focus. Uh, we ain't never been in this situation before, man. The janitor is Christian. The campus police is Christian. All the teachers, the milkman, everybody. And man, we ain't never been in no setting like this. This is like, whoo. We have to carry napkins because we're drooling. It didn't take but a year. And he said, Franklin, what's that wheel in the middle of the wheel? He said, I'm getting married. Doc, Doc, we're going to be eunuchs. What happened? He said, I'm going to get married. A wheel? You're going to leave me? Yep, I've had enough of you. <laughs> I'm getting married. Doug and I have been together for this April 26th. It'll be 48 years. I've been preaching across the brotherhood in primarily white churches of Christ. These past 48 years, this April 26th, he's been going to Africa. Never in our wildest dreams that he thinks He's a white guy that God's going to send to Africa, and I'm a black guy that God's going to send to the white brethren around the world. <laughs> God is amazing. I understand now why Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. He had to learn how to eat a hot dog. Amen. <laughs> Paul wasn't in the habit of eating hot dogs. He had to grow. But, Lord, I know the Jews. I know what they teach. No, you got to go where you're going to grow. You don't have to grow because you already know that stuff. When you start talking about evangelism, I don't do this because I think it's something I'm good at. I do this because the more I learn, the, great, the greater my debt to the Lord. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. I don't do this because I think I'm, I'm good at it. I see my debt. I see my sin. I can identify with that sinner. Because I'm a sinner. I want to make sure there's no way that I portray myself in any way that I'm better than anybody else. I go up to the church building there in North Texas a few years back. And I was normally going up on the campus, going over to the gym. And they only had six zones where you could talk about Jesus on that campus. And it's still true today. Because of the Boston movement, they were following kids to class on college campuses. They had to make some laws that you don't badge your kids religiously on the campus. So there's only six zones where you can talk about Jesus. And so I went and met the student body president and I said, uh, 
I understand. Explain these six zones. He's like, well, if you want to speak about Jesus on this campus, then you got to give us your time. You got to give us your topic. And then what zone you going to be in? I said, I don't work that way. So you don't have to worry about that with me. I don't follow kids to class. He looked at me. He said, oh, you just expect people to come up to you? I said, it happens all the time. <laughs> yes, sir. That's, I, I just expect people to come up to me. I just look homely. So I go up to the building one day, and there's a guy dressed in a three-piece suit. He's got an attache case. And he's pulling on the door. And I got my sweats on. And I walk over and I say, yes, sir, what do you need? He said, I am looking for someone to teach me about Christianity. So he had an accent. I said, where are you from? He said, I am from Turkey. I said, oh, we're related. All my relatives are Turkeys too. <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. He said, I am from Turkey. Okay. He said, I am Muslim. I said, beautiful. I am Christian. We are related. He said, well, I would like someone to teach me. I said, I will teach you. He looked at me up and down. He said, in his three-piece suit and attaché case. He said, you teach me. I said, yes, me teach you. <laughs> he said, how do you know that there is no one in this building? I said, because I have a key. <laughs> so we went inside. I said, let's start on what, what we can agree on. He said, what's that? I said, I know that you call Abraham the father of faith. He said, yes, I do. I said, I do too. And we began to study for about two or three hours. Yes, I hugged him and kissed him. He said, ah, you know my customs. I said, they are my customs too. <laughs> but it relaxed him. It was something he was familiar with. A kiss on each cheek. We studied for about three weeks. He wrote me an email. He said, Brother Willie, I will have to transfer to a different university. But my prayer is that I will find a Willie whatever university I end up at. You see, church, a lot of our faith is a lot like laughter and it's a lot like tears. They are universal, tears and laughter. You don't have to translate them. They speak for themselves. There are people who can perceive when you care. They can perceive when you are genuine. They can perceive when you are passionate about something. That's why we can move, folks. That's what evangelism is all about. When you're just so full of this knowledge, of this passion for Christ, that it, it oozes out of you even when you're not thinking about it. We walk into a restaurant down in Alabama, I don't remember where, and it was after services on a Sunday morning, and there's a little four-year-old, the daughter of one of the preachers, and she said, Uncle Chocolate? She said, you give kisses? I said, well, the guys. I said, girls are my nieces, so I don't worry about girls. And so she turned around, and there was a little girl sitting behind us. She said, is she your niece? I said, yeah, she's my niece. So I looked at her and smiled. 
She was stone-faced. Anyway, we began to visit some more, and the little girl brought it up again. Is she your niece? I said, yes, she's my niece. And so I said, Tony, come on. Tony and I had a thing that we do. He came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his with a strong arm. He lifted me up to show me what living is. He'll come down to your level if you'll open up the door. He wants to make your life worth living. That's what he came down for. And I look at the little girl, five, six year old. I said, what, what do you think? She said, eh. <laughs> I said, man, you people are tough in Alabama. But there were some college kids there, and they all started clapping. Well, that's just an invitation. So I walked over the table. I said, what you clapping about? You ugly, too. <laughs> Began to talk to them. Tony and I set up Bible studies with all six of those kids at that table. They were just shocked that we would sing at a restaurant. I wasn't purposely trying to find somebody. It's just that when this little five or six-year-old kept asking me if all little girls were my nieces and boys were my nephews. She turned around and pointed at somebody, so I went with it. Let's see where it goes. Isn't that a song? Come on and ride with it, ride with it. See where this, yeah, I, see, I try to see where it goes. Look at Jesus. I mean, he knew these encounters were coming, but his disciples did, and they get to observe a centurion. This is a soldier. This is a man who's been in battle. He is a seasoned vet. He has men under him, and he knows how to stress authority and command and the chain of command. And he comes to Jesus, and we get the rest of the story. Now, do you think this centurion is going to go back and just go back to who he was being before? I don't believe so. Nobody had to tell me or Doug that we needed to alter our careers. Our passion for Christ is what altered our careers. Our passion for Christ is what altered our lives. And I believe that's what evangelism is all about. And so as we get established in those talents, they asked me, Brother Brad, I don't know what kind of song leader you are, but they asked me, the church said, Brother Willie, we got singing night. You want to lead a song? I didn't know the first thing about singing. But these brothers must know something I don't know. They asked me to get up there, so I did. I had gone to a little Christian camp. I had heard some singing. These kids sang so beautiful. And the first song I had heard was, My God and I go in the fields together. I thought, wow, how beautiful that song was. And so I don't care what the song was. When I got up to lead it, it was to the tune of My God and I. <laughs> well, I didn't know why all these people kept their fingers up like this while I was, my God and I go in the fields together. Nobody had taught me about getting air in my diaphragm and learning how to sing, but they just said, get up there. Like I said, I didn't want to do that with anybody else. I wanted to teach people away from the audience privately. I just got thrown in. But eventually I started learning down the way as I got around some older men that took some time with me and began to learn because I wanted to know how to praise my God that didn't distract others. I'm not a song leader. I don't read music, but I enjoy singing. I enjoy praising him. 
And I know if he's asked me to do it, I can learn to do it. If I get around those who know how, I will learn from them. I just want to be the best servant that I can be to the one who died for me. This has been a, a very moving time, church. Um, this weekend, these few days has been so encouraging, so moving for myself, and thank you all. If you can do something else besides evangelism, I know you'll do it. That's what people do. My faith won't let me do anything else. And so I now purposely, when I, whether it's going to the grocery store, you see, the way Matthew 28 reads is not go make disciples. As you are going into all the world, it says make disciples. So if I'm going to the store, if I'm going to the sports field, if I'm going to the gym, if I'm going to walk around the neighborhood, my senses are always up because I'm looking for opportunity. My wife and my three daughters, they were nannies when they were younger for different families, non-Christian families. I'm going to the store one day and I'm getting ready to walk into Walmart. I like to always go through the garden section seeing flowers, different stuff. And this lady had come out to the truck. She got one of those little plastic pools for little bitty little kids. She threw it up in the back of her truck and just kind of threw something inside of it. And she was getting ready to get on I-35. You know what's going to happen to the thing? She had I-35, it develops wings. It was going to fly to the back of that truck. And it was a white lady. I didn't know her. But when I saw her do that, I ran over to the truck and tapped on the truck. Excuse me, ma'am. And I jumped up in the back of the truck. I don't know what expression was. Seeing a big black guy jump in the back of her truck. But she had some bungee straps back there, and I threw an old bicycle and the other stuff she had and started strapping that stuff down. And I jumped off the truck and said, have a great day. And I went on. If that's all I can do with her, that's fine. The conversation went no further. Well, my daughter was nannying that night for a couple of attorneys there in, in Denton. And she came home. She's like, Daddy? Did you go to Walmart today? What happened? She said, well, these lawyers had some other lawyer friends over, and, and I had the children, and they were in talking around the dinner table. And she said, I went to Walmart today, and I bought a little kiddie pool, and I threw it in the back of the truck, and I was getting ready to get on I-35, and this big black guy jumped in the back of the truck. She said, I knew it was you, Daddy. <laughs> she said, but I didn't tell them I was your daughter. She said, because I wanted to see if they said something bad about you. <laughs> God is good. Amen, church? Never in a thousand years would I have thought something like that could happen with my daughter. But anytime they say big, chocolate, or black, my girls are listening. One of the girls took a picture of me and gave me an afro on, you know, all that little stuff they have on your phone. I said, be careful when you post that because my daughters, they, they roam that Facebook. You do something about me, they come looking for you. <laughs> Evangelism is no more than you being aware of those around you and being able to see their needs. And I've lived in the Lord long enough. That's all I'm looking for is those that are bleeding out when I see a need. I see people acting up in a store. I'll go ask them if I can pray for them then and there. I don't know what it is about prayer when people hear you pray. It does calm individuals. I do that with policemen. I do that with soldiers. 
Sir, I appreciate what you do. Could I offer up a prayer for you? They don't say no. It's an opportunity. These men are risking their lives. And they still have a lot of fears. And so that's what I'm constantly doing. That's my day. That's what I get up every day doing. That's my prayer every day. We say, Lord, lead me to some soul. Lead me to one soul. I don't want to be greedy. Just one soul, Lord. And so one of the brothers in Tennessee, he came to me when we moved there, and he said, Willie, can your son be on my nine-year-old baseball team? I said, my son's only six. And he said, yeah, but he's bigger than all our nine-year-olds. I said, well, sir, I need to let you know something. This is a package deal. If you don't act right, I will come after you, brother. <laughs> well, sure enough, the first game we go out, they got my son playing third, and he's over here screaming and yelling, got tobacco in his mouth. I don't roll that way. I opened the gate, walked out on the field. Son, let's go. He said, you can't take him. I said, you watch me. I grabbed him by the hand. We began to walk off the field. He came up with Mr. Franklin. He said, please, could you, could you let him finish the game? I said, sir, why did you want us on this team? He said, I wanted you and your family to help me convert my other coaches. None of them are Christians. I said, brother, you ain't converted. Let's start with you. I said, can you spit that dip out? That's not the conduct of a man of God, a godly man. I don't want my children around that. And I said, I'm going to stand next to you because I expect you to be calm out here. You're representing Christ. I said, I was converted while I was in sports. This is not the kind of conduct. If you're going to give up Jesus a baseball, baseball is your Jesus. I said, I'm going to stand next to you too in case you act up because I will give you a hickey. I'm not a violent man, but I can bite and chew on a neck. Amen, church. <laughs> well, sure enough, we baptized six of the coaches and their wives. And that gentleman became a youth minister at one of the churches there in Murfreesboro for a period of time. So as Brother Brad spoke about, so I do speak about, I love my family, but that don't mean I won't be tough on you when I need to be. And that doesn't mean that you won't be tough on me when you need to be. Bring it on. That ain't going to make me leave because you can't be tough on me than my mama was and my eight sisters and two brothers. Amen. <laughs> and I still call that home and I still have precious memories. And now at my age, I don't remember nothing bad about my mama. I don't remember the good stuff. Amen. And so when I was trying to convert my mother, I quit buying cards for her. And I start writing my own cards for my mama. Here's one of the last ones I wrote to her before she passed. It was entitled, Looking for Your Approval. When I was a little boy, I put on my six guns, played cowboys and Indians, and had lots of fun. Still, mama, I was looking for your approval. New clothes, new shoes, off to school each year. Oh, how good you look, my dear. Still, mama, I was looking for your approval. Going off to college. Planning football games, being in national television, getting all kind of fame. Still, Mama, I was looking for your approval. The wedding was today. Then came the kids. Then came manhood. Wow, Mama, look what I did. Now that my life stands unremoved, I have only one question, Mama. Do you approve? 
She called me. She's like, boy, you made me cry. I said, yeah, you made me cry. <laughs> Payback. <laughs> I was pulling at her heartstrings. I was writing poems about things that had happened when I was a child being reared by her because I knew that would get to her heartstrings. And so to the day she died at 85 years old, I was writing my mother personal poems. I was using, using them to try to evangelize you on to try to get this message to her. If I could just get her heart open to the gospel. Remember what the scripture says about Lydia? And the Lord opened her heart. And so church, there are ways we can do that with people that we are cultivating those relationships with and interacting with. And someone was doing that with the centurion. And he heard about the man Jesus and he came to him when one fell sick. And I know there was somebody at his house that was going to keep teaching him. I believe that servant was dear to the centurion because he had been teaching the centurion about Christ. And that's why when he got sick, he went to the very individual that servant or that slave was talking to him about. So he would continue those teachings after returning. I believe we can all be a part of evangelism. I believe we all can be a part of helping others grow and get established and get equipped and be entrusted, as Jesus showed the disciples on the limited commission. He entrusted them with a message, or as he went and told them, prepare the Passover. He entrusted them with responsibilities. And they learned to endure. He that endures to the end, the same will be saved. They learned endurance. As I began to look at Jesus' life and those he trained, I just tried to follow some of those procedures in helping grow other men, my children, my daughters, in serving Christ. I do hope something has been said to encourage you, to uplift you, to spur you on to loving good works, to knit you closer together with this family because we represent heaven right here on earth I love my family. And it is, it's not about appointed times. It's about when can we get together. I baptized a young man that was from Nigeria. And I remember after he became a Christian, my first question to him was, okay, what days can we get together for study? He said, I knew then this was a different religion. <laughs> when you said, okay, how many days can we get together a week to study? He said, no other religious people have ever said anything to me like that. When I teach a person, I'm ready to give them three years of my life because I see that's what Jesus did. They're going to be in my home. They're going to get to know my wife. They're going to get to know my children. And whatever I have, it's theirs. We're going to share that with them. Food, clothing, time. And after three years, I've never had any problem of encouraging these young men and women to be involved in evangelism. It's only natural because that's what we've lived before them for three years. And so it takes your life to train and teach people. Jesus took his life, Jesus gave his life, and it's a tool and we've learned from it. And I believe that we can still teach each other and help each other as well, learn more insight I remember asking Avon Malone, he's the only man that I had met. I had heard of Brother Johnny Ramsey and others 
Levon Malone was the only man I had met that had the whole New Testament memorized, cover to cover. He had a photographic memory. He was one of my Bible teachers. I'd never seen him crack a Bible in the 20 years I'd known him, just an amazing individual. And I was like, that's what I want right there. I wish they could be like some of the prophets where you could just eat the scrolls, but it's not. And so I asked him, brother, brother Malone, how do you do it? Give me the remedy. I want that too. I want, I want, if I, I want to be so full of scripture, if I'm ever cut, I want to bleed verses, was my statement. <laughs> he said, use it or lose it. I mean, that was over my head. I'm looking for something theologically deep. <laughs> Use it or what? Use it or lose it. It took me about 10 years to catch on to that. You see, if I'm not teaching daily, I'm going to be learning daily. I'm going to be growing daily. After two, two and a half years, people don't ask new questions. Most of them are the same questions, which take you to some of the similar verses, which will help you be able to recall Scripture. So don't use that as an excuse that you don't know a lot of verses. Just make sure that you believe the ones you do know. And as you talk to other people about it, they will be drawn, they will be attracted. They will want to know more. And there's always those men and women in this fellowship that can help teach us, that can help evangelize, that can help us reach out to others. Let's have a prayer. Holy Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful time we've had together. Thank you for these teachers, these men who've come to preach and teach. Thank you for those men who've been doing this long periods of time. Brother Barbara, pray that you bless his, bless his life and his health and his wife and her health and his family. We thank you for those men who've given their lives, these elders, all these years that they've lived and been faithful and just pray your blessings on them here, but throughout the brotherhood, the shepherds, the servants, the workers, the song leaders. I bless your servants, Father, the family. We learn so much from each other, just like parents learn from children and children learn from their parents. Help us to continue to grow, to learn, to gain insight and understanding so we can become better servants. And as we become better servants, we can become better teachers. We thank you for the greatest of those teachers, Jesus. Thank you that we can continue to study his life and see how he drew people, he attracted people. He was able to reach people. He was able to love people. He was able to change destinies of lives just because of the way he loved you and served you. Help us to see, Father, that therein lies the power. It is in our connection to you, our being knitted together with one another, our closeness, our oneness that we desire with you and each other. Bind us together in love. Continue to use us wherever you can to help others come to know you, Father. It's through Christ we ask forgiveness and we ask this prayer. And the church said, Amen. Drive, conference, series, podcast. To find out more, go to littlemountainministries.com.